Hello, All Saints people. Sorry, I got a little close to my camera there. Uh, we are extreme close up. There we go. All right. <laughs> Back. Uh, okay. We're all here. No dogs yet. Welcome to Bible study. I hope you're having a great Thursday. We are excited and looking forward to Palm Sunday and Holy Week and all the great things happening there. We have our readings for today. We already got the palms going there, it looks like, getting ready, warming up them shoulders. For today, I'll just start with our introduction before we get into the readings, is today we follow Christ from triumphal entry to the cross. We have walked the Lenten pathway these 40 days, almost there, each of us invited through baptism. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. We enter this holy week accompanying Jesus to the cross with both grief and thanksgiving, our hearts trusting in God's redeeming love. We'll be looking at a passage from Isaiah, chapter 50, a little bit of Psalms work, Psalm 31, Philippians, chapter 2, and our processional gospel, our great time of Luke, chapter 20. Wait, I got the wrong number there. Luke, I'm sorry, 19, 28 through 40. All right. So without further ado, I will pass off to Pastor Rebecca and, oh, that's right. We got I got a point of clarification for those of you who, um, now there are a couple of different traditions that can be followed for this day. And sometimes the church will for the Revised Common Lectionary for Palm Sunday, they may do the Palm Sunday text and then follow it with the Passion text. And we have uh, decided not to do that for a couple of reasons. One is Palm Sunday is good to just stand on its own two feet. It's important that we uh, prepare for Easter, but that is what Monday, Thursday is for. And that is what Good Friday is for. So Monday, Thursday worship is at seven. Good Friday is at seven also. Um, and that's when the passion story is told. So we have like the, the Lord's Supper in preparation on the night before. And then Good Friday. So I just want to clarify that for those of you who are like, well, wait, don't we usually talk about the passion? No. We're talking about raise your hands in the air like you don't care. No, but you do care, and you're raising your palms in the air. So I'll kick it over to Isaiah now for the Hebrew theologian scholar to dive in, like, or maybe even cannonball into this text. You know, that would be a good way to handle it. The problem is, if you read all the way through it, you hit the bottom. Um, (laughs) These are difficult texts, every one of them. Oddly enough, Isaiah 50. Um, verses four through nine are, uh, they're not easy, but they're not that bad. But they leave out the last two verses. And I think in our day, particularly, we've got to include those last two verses. Wait, what's the text again? Isaiah, Isaiah 50, Isaiah 50, verses four through nine. But the chapter ends in verse 11, which is awful. But because of a situation in the world today, I'm going to read the awful. It follows with resolution. Isaiah 54 through 9 is the third of the servant songs. From Isaiah 42 to 53, there are four unique little poems 
that talk about a servant of the Lord God who's commanded by God, led by God to bring help to the nations. The first time, justice. The second time, to lead the people of Israel back to their God. This time, and the third Psalm, to teach the people by living the word of God in obedience, teaching and being taught by God. And the fourth one, just as Jules commented, this will come up on Good Friday. And you know the fourth suffering servant. He was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. That is a Good Friday text. So that will, it's actually a sign for Good Friday. Are we doing that one, Jules? I have a question. Yep. No, no, I haven't done Good Friday yet. It's not here yet. It's a week away. When when you look at like verse one of 50, mm-hmm. I know it's not included, but when we always look at the bookends, I, I don't remember seeing this before. Thus says the Lord, where is your mother's bill of divorce? Yes. With which I put her away? Like what is, I just. Talking about mother Zion and the disobedience of the people and the turning away from God. That's why the second Psalm or a song, is to bring the people of Israel back to God. Because the third servant psalm said, you've gone so far off base that I've divorced your mother and you weren't there to listen to me. Okay, but, but, but like, what is Mother Zion? Israel, the people that have turned away from God. You've got Zion, you've got the people of Zion, and then you've got the nations. But why so, is it called Zion? It's another name for Israel. Oh, um, see, Michael, you learned something even when you've been in it for 25 years. Yeah, it's, it's incredible. And it, yeah, the mother is is. The I, I don't know if I've seen that in a book. If I did, I forgot. <laughs> There's a lot of names for Israel. I mean, Jacob. Um, it just I can't pull them all up right now, but there's lots and lots of references. Sorry, we'll focus. <laughs> okay, third okay. service song. Right here we go. And, by the way, you folks might not remember because I didn't. We did this particular selection on September 9th, 2021. And now it's exactly the same. It's a third servant song. song. <laughs> and it's brought up today because this is the first time in the servant songs, those little poems that talk about one who God assigns to live God's word in the world. One and two are kind of nice. Three, all of a sudden he's getting punched in the face and all sorts of bad things are happening. And four, four echoes the crucifixion leading up to that. But this is the third one. And if we end at verse nine, it's very lovely. But I'm going to read through verse 11 and explain why. So Isaiah 50, starting with verse four and verses one through three explain why verse four. Um, There's a problem. And the problem was God showed up and the people didn't listen. Verse four. The Lord God has given me the tongue of a teacher that I may know how to sustain the weary with a word. Morning by morning, he wakens my ear, wakens, wakens my ear to listen as those who are taught. The Lord God has opened my ear and I was not rebellious. I did not turn backward. I gave my back to those who struck me and my cheeks to those who pulled out the beard. I did not hide my face from insult and spitting. 
The Lord God helps me. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like flint. And I know that I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near, who will contend with me. Let us stand up together. Who are my adversaries? Let them confront me. It is the Lord God who helps me. Who will declare me guilty? All of them will wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them up. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Who walks in darkness and has no light, yet trusts in the name of the Lord? And who relies upon his God? But all of you are kindlers of fire, lighters of firebrands. Walk in the flame of your fire and among the brands that you have kindled. This is what you shall have from my hand. You shall lie down in torment. The last two verses aren't included in this third song. I song, I included them because we've seen it on the televisions every day. This servant is reaching out to the people with visions of what's going to happen if they follow their own ways and into the fire of the bombs we have too often seen in the last few weeks. This is a servant who brings knowledge of the Lord God, whose suffering will bring salvation to the nations, who will astonish the nations with his love. Christopher Sight writes that the death of the servant at this moment of history and for Israel and the nations expresses God's decision to deal with sin and estrangement at their most global expression. Israel sees this, and when the nations see it, they will be astounded. And we see it. We see it every time on the news. The opening verses that Jules referred to mention the problem. No one's listening. Verses four through nine show that by the obedience of the servant, there will be God's love, not just to Israel, founded by Mother Israel, Zion, but to the nations who will not believe this love, this suffering given for the people, given by God to God's people. And in the song itself, the servant reaches out to support and sustain the weary, even as God reaches out to support and sustain the servant in his suffering and us in our sufferings. And those who follow their own way and start the fires, they will wear out like a garment. For the Jewish people, for Israel, the suffering servant is a prophet like Moses or Jeremiah or Ezekiel. But who or what is a servant for us today? And who or what are those who would lead with fire and flame? Those who will wear out like a garment, who will lie down in torment. It's a serious text, as are all the texts today. They are all difficult. And they are all eerily current to what is happening in our world. As a Christian, the servant is Lord, our God, in human flesh who gave up God's very life for the people God created in a love beyond anybody's understanding. For Jesus Christ is the enduring love and those who act as Jesus Christ, live as Jesus Christ, follow and listen. Those are the ones whom the nations will see and be astonished. And he is the one that we follow. And thanks be to God. That was a nice short homily. Hey, um, I have a question. <laughs> Just one? 
well, we don't have all day, but this idea of the garments that get worn out and then eat, eaten by moths. Mm-hmm. There's, have you ever done like a study on garments in Isaiah? No, but I had a buddy in seminary who was going to pursue that for his doctoral dissertation. I do not know what happened. It's a pretty common metaphor. It is. It's, 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 I think it's in this interesting um, because in the next, in 51, it says for the moth will eat them up like a garment and the worm will eat them like wool. And there's mm-hmm. this like, and then the tramping warriors and, like you know, during Advent and, yeah, that there's just a lot of, I just think it's really interesting. And then I, I think there is a, there could be an interesting correlation between that and the garment that's taken off of him. I did not ever make that connection. Wow. Well, I just, I just made it in my head now when you were talking about it, because it's Mm -hmm. like, that wasn't thrown away. It wasn't trampled on. It wasn't burned. It was, there was lots cast for it. And that's just something about that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Remarkable. All the echoes of these servant songs to Jesus for us is, is astonishing. Well, you know, my brain kind of works that way sometimes. And it's like, it's like sitting midrash with, uh, if you guys missed the sermon from last Sunday, from the perspective of Judas Iscariot. It's just an interesting way to enter into the text is by looking at it from a different perspective. So looking at garments or, you know, maybe you all who are watching this right now might want to do a study on garments in the Older Testament or the Hebrew Bible or just Isaiah. Mm-hmm. All right. Thank you. Excellent. Thank you. Now we're on to Psalms, I think. Yeah, 31, 9 through 16. Which one more time leaves out all the good parts. Well, not quite. But I love this psalm. Michael, may I just go ahead and play with the psalm briefly? Oh, please do. I promise briefly. Um, (laughs) When I was walking through some of my difficult times, I would go through the Psalms and there were certain parts of them that I would memorize. I don't know this one by memory anymore, but as I read through it quickly, um, we're going to be reading verses nine through 16, which are a remarkable prayer of confidence for God's deliverance in a difficult time. Okay, good. I've got that but I've got to read to you some of the first part just for the pure joy of it. So I will read just a couple of verses from one through eight and then go to verses nine through 16. Um, And because I'm talking, nobody can really interrupt me. So here goes. Um, The reason (laughs) I memorized this particular Psalm was verses one and two and verse five, verse one in you, O Lord, I seek refuge. Do not let me ever be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me speedily. Be a rock of refuge for me. Strong fortress to save me. Another marvelous metaphor that keeps reoccurring and certainly we sing about. Verse five. Into your hand I commit my spirit. For you have redeemed me, O Lord. Faithful God. Then to our text, and again, a difficult text as they all seem to be today. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eye wastes away from grief, my soul and my body also. For my life is spent with sorrow, my years with sighing, 
My strength fails away because of my misery and my bones melt away. I am the scorn of all my neighbors, a horror to my adversaries, an object of dread for my acquaintances. Those who see me in the street flee from me. I have passed out of mind like one who is dead. I have become like a broken vessel. For I hear the whispering of many terror all around as they scheme together against me as they plot to take my life. But I trust in you, O Lord. I say you are my God. My times are in your hand. Deliver me from the hand of my enemies and persecutors. Let your face shine upon your servant. Save me in your steadfast love. This psalm echoes all the way through, but especially in the verses we just read, what we just read from Isaiah. Lord God, Isaiah, Lord God. And this psalm talks about Lord and talks about God. This is a psalm of absolute confidence in the Lord God. In a time of incredible distress, in a time of incredible pain, when there is no evidence of God's help. Forgive me, folks, I can't get off the bombing. Um, The Lord God is there. To even use the metaphor that my bones melt, for me, is particularly striking. Because that was the one piece of the body that was supposed to remain. When the people were buried, they were buried in a sarcophagus, a flesh eater, so that the bones would remain. And the bones were tucked under the shelf where they had been laid out so that one is gathered to one's fathers. But here in the psalm, even the bones melt. I don't I did not get that. that. Until you said that just now, sarcophagus is from sarks, which is yes, flesh. flesh. Sarcophagus. Yeah. Consume. Flesh eater. Mm-hmm. Michael, did you pick that up? I, I didn't pick I, that up. I'm just, I'm amazed. It's... My, my, my Greek is like sliding back. I, um, you have. That comes to me what, through what, Hebrew study. Which, which uh, version are you reading that from? Um, it's the NRSV, but I flipped two uh, words around just because I forgot one, so I included it. It's a reflection of the other. It's a repetition like Hebrew does so often. Okay, so like, like verse 11, you just mm-hmm. flip those two. Adversaries okay. and acquaintances around because yeah, okay. they're synonyms. Sorry about that. No, it's fine. So it's just a reflection. In the Hebrew, it'll work either way. How about uh, 12b? I become like a broken vessel. Do you want to say more about that, you who deal in vessels? I I am. I am a potter. And uh, if you break a vessel that hasn't been fired, you can just put water to it and reform it, make it again. Uh, But if you... um, break a vessel that has been twice fired, it just goes in the bin. Mm-hmm. Or it becomes a mosaic or something else. But Yeah, yeah. Now, I, I'm stuck on the bones melting. I just, you know, I don't know yeah. how you can get lower than this in yeah. the Hebraic line of thought. So, And yet, um, let your face shine upon your servant, save me in your steadfast love. Not only that, and yes, Jules, and this one trusts that that will happen. Verse five, into your hand I commit my spirit, for you have deemed me, O Lord, faithful God. There they are, both the names. Bada boom, bada bing. Thank you. All right.
Moving right along. We have something that is called or is known as the Christ hymn coming up here. And it is Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Um, This is Paul. Paul quotes from an early Christian hymn that describes Jesus' humble obedience in his incarnation as a human being, even to death, and in his exaltation and glory as Lord of all. All right. So dust off your Bibles and open it up to Philippians 2, because you'll notice that not all of Paul's writings has songs stuck in the middle of them. But this is sort of like a hymn that just sort of shows up. And I'm going to read it using the Greek. So I'm going to take the words that were, I'm going to say the English, you know, the NRSV version, but then I'm going to tell you where it comes from in the Greek. And I'm not going to give you the Greek, Greek words. So don't worry, you don't need to know Koine. But again, instead of starting at five, we have to start at one because it sets it up. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing of the spirit, any compassion and sympathy, make my joy complete. Write this down. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. That's like, you might have to add that in there, Michael, for Palm Sunday, so that contextually we get it. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, the Greek translation there is uh, like degraded, regard others as better than yourselves. Man, what would that, what would a world look like if we actually did that? Regard others as better than yourself. Let each of you not look to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Jesus Christ. Okay. Now, the word that comes up in the text says, uh, who, though he was in the form of God, but the Greek is who, since he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited or, in the Greek, snatched that's that's a little bit different word for me ripped away not exploited but emptied himself taking the form of a slave being born in human likeness and being found in human form both that form means both internally and externally jesus degraded himself and became obedient to us, to the point of death. Not just, and he became obedient to the point of death, but rather obedient to us, to the point of death. That is for you language. For you. God chasing after you. This is being done for you. It's already been done for you. Therefore, God also exalted him and gave him the name that is above every other name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. God changes and a world 
changes. There's transformation language in here. As he was found in this human form, inside and out, he became obedient to us to the point of death. Now, I think this is another one of those portions of scripture that uh, are more fundamentalist sort of friends might look at and say, oh, this is very black and white and you have to confess because it said you have to confess. <laughs> Therefore, you know, every tongue should confess, but that's, you're missing the point if you don't follow the first part of that whole thing. It's that compelling urge. You cannot help it because it's already been done for you. And so as, as Michael continues to grow his grace and joy and laughter as, as a vicar here at All Saints, I think it's interesting to be able to help him hear that more. Um, I, w- I met with a, another a classmate, actually, of Michael's, and it was funny because I said, I think he's a songwriter. I said, I think you should write a song about how God is so much like the prodigal father that we don't realize that we are being um, chased after and then tackled to the ground and tickled to death by the over over uh, abounding joy of the father at, at our return. <laughs> He's like, that would be a really fun song. I'm like, maybe you should write it. That's where I'm leaving it today. All right. Yeah, thank you. That you know, and it's one of those two. We're taking the gravity and seriousness of the uh, the thought that comes into these readings uh, really builds, and there's this building going on, uh, which leads up for the gospel reading for this Sunday, and that is the entrance into the final days. So, reading from Gospel of Luke, chapter nineteen, verses twenty-eight through forty, and again, you could kind of, uh, but I'll just read it. So after he had said this, Jesus went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he had come near Bethphage and Bethany, at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of the disciples saying, go into the village ahead of you. And as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Just say this, the Lord needs it. So those who were sent departed and found it as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They said, then they brought it to Jesus. And after throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. As he rode along, people kept spreading their cloaks on the road. As he was now approaching the path down from the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the deeds of power that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, order your disciples to stop. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the stones would shout out gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, I just find this piece to be so awesome. I have 
sort of limited my research so I don't get too much other info going in there so I can let it rest with me. But it's one where having been to a number of parades, as well as having been in a couple parades with the fire department, it's this whole idea of what I want to say more of a spontaneous joy. Mm. Same time, there seems to be a little bit of, I don't want to say planning, but knowledge as to what is going to happen here. And a lot of this has to do with, and that's what I was saying, the prior uh, passages to this is that very mean landowner who goes off to receive some kingdom and then he just wants to get rid of people. And what that, to me, it leads into this whole idea of what kind of power are we talking about? So this dunamis, what kind of power, what kind of king, who is this Jesus? What is he going to do for the disciples? They've seen all this. That's part of their rejoicing, part of their excitement. But for the others that are watching, and there are many watching at this time, so it's obviously been made into movies and such. There's wonderful intrigue around it. But some of the things that I find so interesting is go into the village, you know, and and there's this cult. Much, you know, I'm assuming it's going to be, it's the cult of a donkey. So a cult, it's never been ridden. It's brand new. And this is not what your king would be riding in on because these Roman rulers, these warriors, they would come in on the stereotypical big white stallion with all their armor and parades and trumpets and all this stuff going on. And we get a different look at power here, a power that for me, I have to look at it a different way. And that way is what is Jesus going to be as I see that? How can I live that way? Am I going to run around and stomp on people and do things to get my way? Or am I going to get to know them first, see what they need, and see how I can live with them and share with them? And so it's this idea of, again, here we get another cloak, another garment that we kind of talked about in some of the others. And the idea that Jesus's cloak becomes this sort of treasured piece that's not going to be torn apart, that's not going to be ripped. They draw straws for this to see who's going to get it but these very cloaks they cover the donkey so we have this whole image of a king coming to town and our king is jesus and for me it's so fitting just as mary rode on a donkey on the way up to jerusalem to have jesus we have these theme of these you know common animals they don't have to be fancy but they are regular creatures, God's creatures. And so as Jesus is processing in, I think there's this kind of uh, building, you know, I'm, I'm envisioning as you kind of hear the sound, the crowd, hey, what's going on? So either you're aware of this and you're excited to be there or you start getting that, hey, what's, I want to see this. I want to, oh, that's G. Oh, I've heard about him. And this building excitement for this as they keep, preparing this path and we talked about how uh, Mary had this wonderful perfume for Jesus's feet and at this stage Jesus is not even going to touch the ground so remembering those images this wonderful nature of Jesus on the donkey people laying down their cloaks palms waving 
It has all of the markings of this big military parade, but it has nothing to do with that kind of power and might. It has to do with saving each other and taking care of each other. And there we get some of the other pieces that these people, in a sense, Jesus is coming. The knees are going to bend like we got from Philippians. People recognize that. But meanwhile, we have those that are overlooking the Romans who are probably wondering because it's Passover time. It's busy. There's people all around. And they're probably not real thrilled with another gathering. What's going on down there? Who is that? Is that Jesus that we've heard about? But the people let this and make this happen. And as he's working his way down, it's this very kind of deliberate, slow path. And then, and I kind of got ahead of it, but the untying of the cult, it's like somehow they knew, but it's for the Lord. And I think about if someone came up to me and said, hey, this is for the Lord, I might kind of think twice, but then say, well, okay, or would I? But I think I would really have to think about, but in this, they give away, you know, and it basically a very expensive piece of what was property. But again, for Jesus, nothing is too expensive. Now, almost the sense that nothing could be good enough. And we give that, and that's where they break into song. This wonderful peace, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. So we have Jesus on earth with the movement. Heaven can rejoice and be glad. And we talk about that power again. I kind of left off because I got a little excited. But we also have references to what kind of prophet as well as king. So we have Zechariah 9.9. And that is echoed into this story. We also have Psalm 118, and that has to do with our singing of this. And then also I found one new one here because Luke Powery, I find wonderful commentary on. And uh, Habakkuk, if I said that correctly, they refer to uh, verse 2, chapter 11. And that's if I tell you of these things. So without going too much further, I'm not quite sure where I'm going to meld this all together. But it's this wonderful idea of here is Jesus. And I think it ends so well with the Pharisees in the crowd who, in a certain sense, might have been considered sort of, uh, I don't want to say enemies, but they're trying to, hey, you know, let's keep it down a little bit. They're going to hear us here. It's like, you know, time to shut the party down and ordering kind of teacher, Jesus, order your disciples to stop. And it's like, hey, what can I do? There And it's like, I tell you, if they were silent, the stones, the very earth, you know, the same earth that receives the dripping blood of Jesus and that water, that life of earth, even the stones would shout. So to me, it's like, wow, what a wonderful view of creation that the earth would be singing for Jesus. And that is kind of where I think of Palm Sunday of all the years of waving the branches and celebrating the victory of Jesus and ushering in that kind of life that I want to share, not a life in as much as we talked about the horrific things of war and all the other pieces of that. That's not the powerful king we want. We want the king of love. And that's where I will end. The king of love through the servant lens. 
I think the other thing that I find really interesting about um, preaching is that you're holding a newspaper in one hand and a Bible in the other hand. And, and um, about, it's probably about a year ago, somebody said, I, I don't want to be a member at All Saints anymore because what you're preaching is too political. And I thought that's really interesting because I, I never come to the text with politics in mind. What I come to the text with is what's going on at that time, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you have Roman occupation lording over the Jewish people. That's, that's a very uncomfortable position to be in. And they are afraid that this healer is going to interrupt their power. When what he is teaching is love, kindness, respect for those who have nothing, um, to throw off the oppressor's power um, and and engage people back into. I mean, this is Jesus is constantly saying, "What can we do to create community? What can we do to care for each other?" But I think that's interesting too that you have peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. That's that's a little bit of an echo for me of the story of the angels appearing to the the shepherds in the field. You know, so there there are all sorts of interesting approaches that you could take with this one. So God bless you as you try to come up with one meal instead of fourteen. Thank you. Sorry, Michael. You've got to come up with, you know, a leading comment, but I appreciate all the mix, all the interconnections throughout the Older and New Newer Testament. I really appreciate hearing about those, but I agree absolutely with Jules. You got to focus, but I like the crowd and I'm not preaching Sunday. So. Well, just, just the idea that you've been in a parade before and, you know, you have to have permits and you have to have somebody orchestrating it and you have to, you know, there's certain laws that you have to follow. And here they're, they're making their way in to have the last supper. And all of a sudden, all of this excitement starts stirring up. Yeah. Um, you know, how did, how did they come into town? They weren't riding that strong horse, the warrior, that correlation with Mary and the donkey and Jesus and the colt might be something to play with a little bit too. I don't know, but it's, it's more about, I think, humility and um, preparing them. Like, this message is going to get out no matter what you do. Yeah. You know? Exactly. No matter, no matter what you do, Michael, no matter what Rebecca does, no matter what I do, no matter what any pastor or professor or preacher will say, the message is still going to go out and it's not going to return empty. Like mm-hmm. there is a, a doulos behind that, right? Just that God's power. Um, my only query is is language around victory, because that I, I don't know. It's it's hard to separate some of that language that gets wrapped up in us doing anything right (laughs) but i think i think it's a curious thing to be able to model over maybe some of y'all can think about that as you prepare for sunday and worship as well so 
But that's part of the beauty. I mean, that crowd came together. It just happened. I mean, all the Old Testament prophecies, well, some of the Old Testament prophecies that Michael brought up, just suddenly there was a crowd. It wasn't planned. Um, Jesus knew, but it must have astonished folks. But all of a sudden, the people knew. And it just came together. The crucifixion was a whole different scene. And this excitement, what a strange victory. You can't even call it that. And yet it was one of the finest known and so unexpected, but guided not by us at all. Yeah, that's right. The the spontaneous, suddenly, you know, like a couple people get together and then they, and suddenly this big event, this gathering builds and, uh, and and with excitement and, and care to that. And that's why it's really hard to, you know, in, in the minds then that this was some victory celebration, that that's the way you would honor a king. And it's I kind of think of like the cartoons or something when you're waiting for this grand entrance. And then, you know, here comes, you know, like a clown car or something like that. It's like, it's not what you expected it to be. And I think it isn't, but it pulls Jesus up all of the Old Testament prophecies. Yeah. Maybe maybe the word is is uh, yes spontaneity, but to there would be an interesting connection between and suddenly there was uh, above them a multitude of angels. You know, it's like that that spontaneity, and then peace on earth and glory in the highest heaven. I mean, you get these great little, but you know, that's a whole nother buffet. A flash mob, God's flash mob, without cell phones. and probably not a whole lot of dancing more about pushing and shoving to see who is this guy and is that really him is this the guy that we've been hearing about and as i learned and i cannot give you the references for it but the palms were the flag of independence for israel the people did not wave them the children did because otherwise the soldiers would have killed the adults but the children Uh, wave the independence palms as he's going down so very well aware of the political situation. Bills, you can't separate the political situation from this. Michael, no, I, no. I, I don't know how. Yeah. Well, that's why, you know, even, even this passage doesn't even mention palms, but as they were used basically as an, you know, a sign in the desert, if you were out there, that must be water. So the an oasis to help you, but then use that way in, in many right. in, you know, military situations like that but not knowing that it was the children you know again another sign of ah, here's me don't don't hurt me kind of piece so. yes that's really a fascinating thing i never heard that before um studying in israel helps well it certainly does and that's where we'll leave it for today so thank you you we still uh this coming week after this thursday palm sunday there's no wednesday we do Thursday and Friday, Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday. And then on Easter, which will be a week from this Sunday. Oh, my Lord. That just seems like it's coming fast again. Uh, two services just for Easter. One at 9, one at 10.30 a.m. Um, this will be hopefully the last Sunday that we will say mandatory masks. Hopefully the week after that. You do what you feel is right for yourself and your neighbor. So if you're feeling sick, wear a mask or don't come. If you have been fully vaccinated and have been taking care of yourself and your neighbor, 
you may or may not wear a mask. So I know it's been a while rolling this out and I appreciate how you all have like, stayed the course with us on that. I know it's hard, but um, we also have a lot of vulnerable people in our congregation. So thank you. Thanks everyone. Anything else, Speaker Michael? Uh, I guess for being that it will be Thursday that there's a, a men's lunch uh, today. So that would be the one other piece for that. And other than that, I think that should do it and uh, leave everyone with uh, a great Thursday and looking forward to seeing everyone either online or hopefully definitely in church. Awesome. All right. Thanks everyone. Thank